0: What would you say to people that feel like they're trapped with their student debt and there's nothing that they can do?
1: Number one, you're wrong. There's always something that we can do. But really what it comes down to is a change of perspective. We really need to think about student debt in a different light. And that all starts when you realize you've got options.
0: hello hello welcome in to your favorite podcast the free retiree show your go-to podcast for all things career money where we help you avoid the big mistakes and where we learn from people that have done amazing things I'm your host wealth manager Lee Michael Murphy and alongside Silicon Valley vet and interview coach Sergio Patterson
2: what is up everyone how you doing
0: welcome into a money management edition of the free retiree show for today's episode we have a wonderful topic we've had a lot of people request this and we gonna be talking about how to overcome student debt so sergio your friends my friends family members loved ones student debt what's your thoughts on this
2: i mean it's terrible like we came up we both graduated i think in like 08 0708 and uh Student loans was just a thing you did, right? Like you just got student loans and you just go into this crazy amount of debt. And you're 18, 19, 20. It's just, I think it's one of the biggest detriments to people, right? It literally cripples people's financial well-being. They can never be free. I think it's just a terrible thing. I think they're predators. Student loans are a nightmare. And I know it's crippling society, but I'm hoping we can educate the next crop of kids that come up. One, they don't need to go into that much debt. It's not worth it. But two, arm them with the resources to help them figure out how to uh, navigate it. It's important.
0: Yeah. So according to the recent data from the U.S. Department of Education, about 42.9 million Americans have federal student loans, which means about one in eight Americans carry around student debt. Total outstanding debt is roughly 1.59 trillion with a T dollars. Maybe you don't have student debt, but I think we all have someone we know, a friend, a loved one that is getting crushed by student debt. And not only does it put you behind the eight ball in terms of your financial picture, it has a lot of psychological effects too. Serge, I don't know about you, but I know people that have described them as feeling trapped, crushed, depressed, without hope. It's bigger than the financial piece. I mean, have you seen that too?
2: Yeah, that's a good call out. I got some friends who are doctors. You picture doctors being these like super wealthy, rich, and their shits together, but then they have like $500,000 in student loans and they're just like dying on the inside. So I think it's just sad. I know this is Friday. I said, we, I think we said happy Friday at the beginning, but uh, it's tough, man. It needs to be talked about more.
0: Exactly. So if you have ever wondered how to manage student debt, overcome student debt, build wealth despite student debt, and how to have your debt forgiven. This episode is for you. And actually, we have some very important news that our guest speaker will talk about that's just recently come out that might help people that have student debt. So you have to tune into this episode. But for our episode, we have one of the best experts on the planet in terms of student debt, uh, attorney Joshua Cohen. He's been seen on Fox News. Bloomberg TV he also wrote the student loan lawyer's guide to understanding student loans in plain English so he's a phenomenal resource and you guys are going to get a ton out of this episode so if you haven't done so yet make sure you like our show if you have a question about student debt you can send it to Joshua Cohen or contact us through the free retiree show at ask at the we're going to take a quick break but when we're back we're sitting down with Joshua Cohen show. We're sitting down with attorney Joshua Cohen. Joshua, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you, Lee. Yourself?
0: We're delighted, man. We have you on here. You're a world-renowned expert on this topic and uh, student debt, man. It's uh, one of those things that seems to plague almost everyone and uh, people feel lost, despair, like we were talking about in the beginning, but What would you say to people that feel like they're trapped with their student debt and there's nothing that they can do?
1: Number one, you're wrong. There's always something that we can do. But really what it comes down to is a change of perspective. And I'm not saying I want to, you know, take your student loan bill and doodle it up with flowers and stuff and make it look better. I'm talking, we really need to think about student debt in a different light. And that all starts when you realize you've got options. And obviously it depends, are we talking a federal student loan or are we talking a private student loan that vastly changes the landscape, but there's always something that can be done. What I love about money in general and the attitude that people have with it is, it's my money, I wanna be in control of it. And so when we talk about student debt, it's how do I put you, the borrower, in control of both your wallet and your student loan debt? I hope you guys like this analogy. I compare student loan debt to being on the Titanic. The sucker's going down, whether you like it or not. And you can have two different ways of looking. Like, oh God, I'm going to die, which is how the majority of us look at it. Or, you know what? It's going to take three hours for the boat to sink. I'll sit on a deck chair. I'll enjoy the view. Life raft over there. I'm going to head out over to it. And it's different with federal loans. I actually have a life raft. They've got a, a safety net. Private loans, wow, that's going to be really cold water. But you know what? You're not the only person in there. And hopefully someone's going to show up and realize we better do something. The thing's going down. So, yeah, it's the Titanic. There's the iceberg. But we can do stuff. It's perspective, right? Like with everything. That's exactly it. It's perspective. Yeah. You know, uh, and I, not to quote the 80s, but, you know, I'm, I'm not just the president. I'm a client, too. There you go. Love that.
0: So, so Josh, I mean, we've always been told that there's nothing you can do when you have student loan debt. It, it is what it is. It's not like credit card debt or you could get rid of it. It's student loan debt, it's there forever. It's going to plague you for the rest of your life. So if you did it when you were young and dumb and racked up all this debt, you're screwed. And like, You're saying that's not exactly true.
1: It's absolutely not true. So parsing it out, federal versus private. Federal loans, we have options in fact we have nine different payment plans so what actually happens with federal loans is we get analysis paralysis we're looking at nine plans and we barely know how to use a calculator especially if you're a lawyer that's why we went to law school we don't
0: Uh, attorney matter yeah all the way
1: (laughs) but but really it's okay you've got nine different payment plans you got services that are supposed to help you fyi Servicers have no obligation to help you. Their obligation is to make sure you don't fall off the ship, fall off the track, to make sure you don't default. It doesn't matter how you do that, which is why they're happy to give you a forbearance when you call them. Hey, I can't pay. Would you like a forbearance? Okay, fine. Check. Done. That's not a long-term solution. So with these nine payment plans, we've got four of them that are regular amortization. Just like when you buy a car, you expect to pay the car off. Those four, you've got either a 10-year term or a 25-year term, and within those, you can do a graduated payment plan where it starts low and steps up. So, you've got a 10-year graduated, a 25-year graduated. Now, the average undergrad graduates with about 32000 Want to know why? That's the most they can have. Let's face it. If you're in a store and they say, take as much as you want, what do you do? You fill up the cart.
2: hmm
1: we go to undergrad, yeah. we fill up the cart. We get 32000 If you go for five years, you might get a little bit more. But you get about 32000 32000 payable over 10 years, that's not so bad. That's a car loan. And luckily, cars can't be financed for 10 years because most of them don't last 10 years. But your loan, you get 10 years. Not a big deal. My undergraduate's not the problem. When you go to grad school and you can borrow 20000 a year, that means as a lawyer, you're coming out with 60000 just for law school. As a doctor, you're coming out with 80000 just for that, plus the thirty-two you borrowed for undergrad. You're getting close to six digits. Now it becomes a problem. Are you going to pay six digits in 10 years? Most of us are not. So then we look at the other five payment plans. They're called IDR, income-driven repayment. Ready for the five? Why five? Because- Ed likes us to have choices. I have no idea. We have income contingent repayment, which has been around since the nineties. Most people don't know that. You've got income-based repayment came out in 2009. You've got pay as you earn came out under the Obama administration in 2012. Then you've got new IVR, which is like new Coke. They couldn't think of a better name. (laughs) And that came out in 2014. It's only for people that were in school in 2014 or later. It's class of 2018 or later. So most Mm. of us don't have it. None of us here do. And the last one that came out December 2015 was called Repay, Revised Pay As You Earn. Almost anyone can have repay. So the point is you've got five different plans that are income-driven, which means it's based on your family size and your adjusted gross income. Now, if you're self-employed, you know how to control your adjusted gross income with your profit and loss statements, with your write-offs, with the CPA who does this for a living or a financial counselor. So there are ways to make this all work. The whole point of IDR is it's always flexible based on where you are. The funniest comment I ever heard from a servicer, oh, this person doesn't make enough money for IDR. What? No, 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 that's backwards. The whole point of IDR is because you don't make enough to pay an amortization. If you're unemployed, your payment is zero. If your income is small based on family size, you can have a $0 payment. So let me ask you this question. How do you default if your payment is zero? Did you forget to send your check for $0? No. It's because one of the problems with IDR, it has to be renewed every year. And if someone forgets to renew it, boom, you are put back on the 10-year plan and now your payment went... It's why a lot of my senior folks default. They didn't realize they had to renew. They forgot they had to renew. Something happens there. Seniors are the ones that annoy me the most. I think that's just like in general, right? In like- <laughs> The circumstances that they're in annoy me the most. Okay, Most of the seniors that I have are, quote, living on Social Security, and I don't know how one does that. And now when they default on their loan, the government takes 15% of their social security. What happens when you take 15% away from nothing? You have even less than nothing. Mm-hmm. And yet we know that their regular payment is zero. How do these people default? It is indicative of a system that has failed them. So, okay, I went a little tangential there. But the point is, no,
2: you've got nine different payment plans. One of them should work for you. Yeah, I was curious. You mentioned the system, right? Like I know your job, right? It's a good thing. Like you're in business, you're helping these people in in those situations or hiring you as a lawyer. But what about the system that's been created that has been detrimental to the people? Like how do we, what are your thoughts on that? It's hard to fix a system, but what can we do to help young people not get in these situations?
1: So it's one reason I wrote my book. And and the book had been in planning for a long time. In fact, I wrote it over many, many, many years because I could never sit down to actually write it. I wrote it during my few plane trips whenever I was teaching a workshop. That's when I wrote it. And really the whole idea was student loans really is a DIY system. You should be able to do it yourself. In fact, the Department of Education on the website says, you don't need to pay for professional help. Actually you do. The only reason I exist is because the industry doesn't do what it's supposed to do. If it did, I wouldn't be here. Necessity is the mother of invention. If it worked the way it was supposed to, I wouldn't be here. Why do we have mechanics? Because the car doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Okay. So I'm here. I'm not the only attorney that does this. I've trained 400 different attorneys, actually 450 now. And there are people all over the U.S. that do this. So back to your question. I think the biggest thing, kind of ironic, but the biggest thing you need for education is to be educated about how student loans work. And it's, it's really the whole point of my book is so I don't have you as a client. I really don't want you as a client. That's the, yeah. the weirdest thing for a lawyer to say, but no, I really don't want you as a client. I have enough work. Understand how the student loan system works. Understand the payment plans that I just talked about. For instance, one thing that is getting bad press, deserved, public service loan forgiveness. The program does work if you're paying attention to all of it. The reason why it's failing, in my opinion, is because of the details. Public service loan forgiveness is for anyone that works for a government, be it federal, state, county, town, or any 501c3 nonprofit. And there are thousands of them. As long as you are full time, or you could have two part time for different companies put together, average 30 a week. If you do that and you pay your loan on an income-driven repayment plan, and it is a direct loan, get to that in a minute, you do that for 10 years, anything not paid is forgiven, tax-free, done. That includes all your doctor friends that work at hospitals. Their residency, they're on payroll making 60000 which for some people is a lot, but for a doctor, that's chump change. Mm-hmm. And their yeah. IDR is down on the floor. So take advantage of those four years that you're doing the residency, finish it out, Do your meatball surgery at a hospital that maybe you don't like making less money than you would if you're in private practice. But after that 10-year chunk, your $300,000 debt is gone. Now you can go into private practice with no student loan debt. It works for doctors, nurses. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters that your employer qualifies. So even the admins at the hospital qualify. The custodians, the mail guy, the guys that work in the kitchen. All of them get public service loan forgiveness. So when you talk about how do we avoid this for younger people, what is it that you're going to college for? That's a loaded question. I admit, I didn't know why I was going to college as far as profession goes. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to get out of the town where I was living because I was in Vermont. And I knew I wanted to go this way. What was I going to do? I don't know. But there are a large swath of students that do know what they want to do. Learn how that career trajectory can affect your ability to forgive your loans early. If you're going to be a public school teacher, 10 years, your loan is done. There should be no question there. You want to be an administrator at a school? That still counts because public school is, is government. You want to do nonprofit work. You want to be a social worker. I love social workers. They have to have a master's, which means their loan balance is $150,000 for a $40,000 a year job. It is a thankless job. We all know that. But if you do what you love to do, and in 10 years, that 150 is forgiven, doesn't that make life better? To know that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and you're doing what you love to do. If there's one thing that I tell people, I understand student loans suck. No one knows more than I do. You got to do what you love doing. If you do it just for the money, now it becomes even worse, because now you're working for the money, and you're never going to pay it off, and you're on this track, and If you're not doing public service loan forgiveness, these IDR plans, income driven, come with a 20 or 25 year. That's a long time to work a job that you hate. Just so that at age 45 or 50, now you're done with the loan. You can enjoy, what, 15 years of work before you retire? That's hell. That is not what student loans are for. In fact, I always say we go to school to learn. We took out loans
2: to live. We don't live to pay the loan. Yeah. Josh, love it. Just thinking back, I think what you're getting at is that education piece, right? When you're 19, 20, whatever, 21, like really understand what am I signing up for? I know back when I did it, I had no idea. I just signed the paper. And I think that's what a lot of people do. And I think what you're saying is like, do some research, right? Yes. And Know and, know what you're signing up for. Right. And this is
1: actually a great segue, whether you meant it or not, into private loans versus federal loans. I'm not saying I like any debt and this line that, oh, federal loans are good debt. What is good debt? Unless you're leveraging it and making interest to pay off the... I'm not getting there. It's not what I do. It is better than private loans because I talked about those payment plans that are flexible. You can get forgiveness. Federal loans, you can get them out of default. If you mess up and it screws up and you get charged off or it goes, goes sour... Federal loans by law, you can rescue it. Can't do that with anything else, except for maybe a mortgage and the whole TARP program, which I don't even know if that's around anymore. But you can't save your car. If you're six months behind on your car, what's happening? You're waiting for the repo man. You're six months behind on your credit card, you're waiting for a settlement or you're filing a bankruptcy or you're just letting it go. Federal loans, yes, they chase you until you die, but you can resurrect it at any time, get onto that income-driven repayment plan Start that 10, 20, 25-year clock. I mean, imagine rescuing a loan at 50 and you're a public school teacher. You can still be done with the loan by 60 and still retire debt-free. That's a win. Private loans don't have anything we just talked about. They have two payment plans. Pay or don't pay. It's not an option. I mean, that's a gun to your head, really. It's pay or don't pay. What makes private loans so dangerous are two things. One, they have bankruptcy protection. If you file a bankruptcy with a private loan, you're probably not getting it discharged on the spot. There are some case laws I want to bring up in a minute. Please remind me, Lee. But the vast majority of private loans are not dischargeable unless you fight it. The second problem with private loans is many times, because you're 18, 19, 20, when you get the loan, what do they want? A cosigner. A Who's the co-signer? Mom or dad?
2: Dad.
1: How the hell does mom or dad retire when they've got $20,000, 80000 $150,000 dollars co Oh, don't worry. You're a very smart child. You do well. Not everyone does well. And what's the definition of well? okay without doing math in my head, the payment on an $80,000 private loan is how much over a 10 or even a 20 year amortization at five, if you're lucky 5%. I've seen people with private loans at 13%. Oh, wow. And okay, so you've got a co-signer, so you're bringing your parent down. So even if you land a job at 60 or 70,000, what's the payment on on even a $50,000 loan? That's a lot. And if The student can't make the payment, where are they going? They're going to the co-signer, mom or dad, and mom or dad says, but I'm trying to retire, or worse, I'm already retired, I'm on social security. That's good, social Security is untouchable for a private loan, but you've got this headache, and what does your credit look like? Because if they're not paying it, and you're not paying it, you now have bad credit. But I didn't even go to school. No, but you signed up. Here's the analogy I use for private loans. Okay, this is extreme because of what I see my clients average seventy-five dollars to $150,000 in student loan debt on average. I see way more. I see a few a lot less. Think about, okay, so let me paint the picture. When we go to school as a freshman, we're given some federal loans, $5,500. What What does that buy? a textbook? Two textbooks? And you're given some grants and some work study. And then you have this huge budget. And the budget which is room and board and health insurance and transportation, all that stuff, could be upwards of 50, 70, 80,000 a year. And your federal loan is 5,500. Okay, well, maybe your parents are doing okay and they pay a part of it, but maybe they need a private loan. It's not unusual to see a private loan for 10 to 20,000 a year. That doesn't sound bad. But it takes you four years to get your bachelor's. Multiply that 10 by 20 by four. That means you're spending 40,000 to $80,000 on average. Now ask yourself this question. Would you buy your 18-year-old an $80,000 Mercedes? Probably not. Now, obviously, the, the return on a Mercedes is different. You're not buying it as an investment that's going to send your grandkids to college. Maybe you are, I don't know. But college is an investment. I don't want to say it's not. But you're playing the odds that are worse than Vegas. Now, Everyone thinks their child is a genius. There are some funny <laughs> parents who say, "No, he's not, and he really should be in college." Okay, fine. But you are in bed with your child when you cosign. You're you're on the hook, and if anything, if life happens, it's why we call them accidents. We don't call them on purposes. They're accidents. Life happens, and if life happens to your child, are you fully prepared to pay back that forty to eighty thousand? There is no well. I just signed it so they can get the loan, but I didn't really mean to pay it. That's actually the legal definition of fraud. So private loans are dangerous. I'm not going to say don't take them, but I am going to say think very carefully. Look, if you're a plastic surgeon and you're pulling in six digits a year, fine. If you're pulling in $50,000 a year and you're eyeballing retirement, why are you signing for another $50,000 in debt? Well, then my kid can't go to college. Yeah. I mean, it, the <clears throat> I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I can keep going. You talk about the system. To me, you fix the system by allowing these private loans to be dischargeable again, because when they're dischargeable, now there's credit risk. When there's credit risk, underwriting pays closer attention. Maybe they won't give all these loans. Maybe exactly. these kids can't afford college. What happens when there's a glut of kids that can't afford college? Now colleges don't get, they don't get
2: filled up. Now you see market equilibrium. Yep. It's the same thing with the housing market that happened. They were giving out loans to every single person, no matter what they yeah. made. And then it, it crashed.
1: That's same exactly thing. it.
2: Yeah. So step one, get rid of
1: private loan bankruptcy protection so that banks have real risk. Oh, but then lower socioeconomics can't afford college. I don't have an answer to that, except that when the pressure starts mounting on schools, then the prices come down. That's really the middle class that's getting crushed. That's my theory. But economically speaking, I think it makes sense. They talk about, well, maybe private loans should be linked to what your major is. How many people do you know are actually working in their major? Unless they went to grad school, like medical school or law school. How many people do you know went to law school that aren't lawyers? Or went to medical school that aren't doctors. Number one, there's a bell curve. What's at the bottom? People that aren't going to do well. That, that's statistics. So you've got a chunk of people that just aren't going to do well no matter what. But just because you majored in whatever you did doesn't mean you're going to do it. And besides that, what does a major in philosophy do? What does a major in English do? What does a major in psychology do? A bachelor's in psychology gets you nothing. How do you know? Because I have a bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> I have a bachelor's in psychology with me to the next day. I can go get a master's in psychology so I can carry bedpans around a hospital. If you don't have a PhD in psych or a very advanced degree, you're not doing anything with a BA in psychology. A bachelor's is a doorstep. It's what a high school diploma used to be. Now it's, oh, do you have a college degree? Yes. Good. You, so it's the education. Yeah. Yeah. For parents, it's putting your foot down saying, I'm not going to co-sign. Oh, but I really want to go to the school. Why? Because they have good parties. No, I mean, because they have a good program. The other thing is, what is your final trajectory? If it's grad school, your undergrad reputation may not be as big a deal. If you're going to go to law school, the law school you go to might matter. The undergrad, you just got to pass the, the LSAT. And I, there's nothing wrong with community college. There is nothing wrong with state schools.
3: 100%.
2: You don't need a name brand. With my kids, like if they want to do the junior college, more power to them. Like, I don't see the, like, I don't see the downside there. I joke
1: with one of my kids. I'm like, what about, don't you love to, welding is great. Or like, be an electrician. There's nothing wrong with trades. Mike Trade Rowe yeah. has done a great job of talking about this. And you know what? Trades are in demand. Be an auto mechanic. You like working on cars? I think that's great. There's nothing wrong with it. Maybe take a course or two in business so you can run your own garage. But I think people really need to sit down and go, what's the value of college? You want to be a doctor? Yes, you're going to college. You want to be a mechanic? Take a business course. That's all you need.
0: Josh, you did an excellent job of talking about the dangers of signing up for college and taking out all that debt. And that's, that's something that society really needs to do a better job at before they make the big mistake. But let's just say we've made the big mistake. It's done. We're trying to pick up the pieces. We're trying to get out of this hole. Mm-hmm. And you were talking a lot in the beginning about income-based repayment. To some people, that's gonna, they're going to think, well, if I'm not making any money, how am I building wealth? Can you kind of elaborate on that? Like, okay. how is one supposed to do that?
1: That's actually a great question. And this is about, again, this is a change in mindset. I have hung out with individuals that are all about You give them a problem and they'll tell you how to make money off of it that's just how they are i met people i i met someone's like yeah i bought my first house while i was still getting my bachelor's and i invested i did that's great but the average american doesn't have that mindset their mindset is i got 25 cents in my wallet i need to buy dinner Mm -hmm. and then you throw a student loan at them the point of the income driven repayment plan is to make manageable cash flow and then what are you doing with that cash flow I don't care that you owe 200,000 or 50,000. If your payment comes out because maybe you're a family of five and one of the spouses doesn't work for whatever reason, maybe they're home because daycare is too expensive. They're a stay-at-home mom or dad. God, I wish I could have been a stay-at-home dad. Um, (laughs) And and so you're living on one income of maybe 50,000. 50,000 income for a family of five doesn't get far, but what it gets you for an income-driven repayment is close to like $50 a month or less. Now think about what that's doing for the rest of your cash flow. You're managing your student loan. You're in good standing. You're not going to pay off the amount of the debt. We don't care. You're going to get forgiveness. It's what are you doing with the rest of the money in your pocket? Don't let it burn a hole. Talk to financial planners. I think more middle income folks should be working at financial planners because they're the ones that have to learn how to properly budget. And what are you using those rainy day pennies for? It doesn't mean you have to invest in stocks. I'm not. That's not what I sell. I sell student loan payments and how to make it manageable. But you need a holistic approach. Now that your student loan payment is manageable, you're going to get forgiveness. Oh, what about the tax bill? That's in 25 years. We have no idea what legislation is going to be. And right now, there is already uh, it passed a few months ago. Student loan forgiveness through 2025 is non-taxable. If that provision never sunsets and they keep rolling it. There will never be a taxable event on student loan forgiveness. But a financial planner can look at this and go, worry about that later. Here's what you've got now, here's what we can do with it. We can take your $10, we can plant it in the ground and you'll have 20 in a month, you'll have 30, whatever it is. That's where I think people, that's why I say it's a change in perspective. I get so many people that call me and say, oh, but my loan is 9%. I don't care if it's 50%. You're never gonna pay it anyway. Pay attention to what counts. Don't, oh, but my neighbor only has a 2%. That's great. Is your neighbor paying it off or are they in the same boat as you? I love that you, you walk out to the end of your driveway, you look up and down your street, who's driving what? Get over it, man. If you have a car and it gets you to your job, I love reading the stories of the billionaires that still live in the middle income houses and the regular five bedroom house. And they're worth worth—they're worth the entire town, but nobody really knows it. That's a perspective change. And there's only so much I can counsel my clients on because I only have a bachelor's in psychology. It's really, it, it's a change in perspective. You pay what you pay. Look, I do the exact same thing. Unless I get a really nice settlement from a lawsuit, I'm going to have student loan debt just like my clients. I'm in the same boat. I'm doing exactly what I preach. So what about the people that think, well... I won't
0: be able to build wealth. Like, how am I going to, if I have this debt, how do I a house?
1: How do I, how do That's I have this? I want to, I actually, what I want to talk about is marriage and houses. Because I have people, I can't get married. I have debt. We all have debt. Hell, sometimes you don't find out about the debt until you're married. Like, hey, surprise. Sometimes the income driven repayment plan is tied to a joint tax filing There are ways to get around that, whether you file separately or you wanna talk to me about how you can sometimes split it. There are ways to keep that payment manageable. And if you're gonna get public service loan forgiveness, you're in the pool for 10 years, that's it. So number one, don't ever let this stop you from getting married or having kids, okay? As for the mortgage, and again, I can tell you from personal experience, income-driven repayment plan is acceptable. People get upset and say, well, I owe 100000 hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. 200000 How can I buy a house? It's not about how much you owe. It's about your monthly payment. It's called debt to income ratio, DTR. And what they're looking at is how much money are you spending a month out of your paycheck? And what do you have left to pay me, the mortgage company? What they also want to know is, are you in trouble with your loan? If you're in default, they want to know who's in line to get your money before me. As long as your federal loan is not in default, you can get an FHA loan. Here's the secret. If you are looking at buying a house, you go talk to the underwriter. If you're talking to a broker or a banker or whatever, the first question out of your mouth, do you accept an IDR payment on my federal loans? The only thing you're allowed to accept is a yes. If they say no, walk out. If they say maybe, no, I need a definite answer. Why? If they don't accept the IDR, income-driven repayment, they replace it with a one or a two percent number based on the size of your loan. That's where a six-digit loan ca- kills you. What's 1% one percent of hundred thousand? dollars thousand dollars. So they're going to compute your DTI. Uh, yeah, that's income ratio. Sorry, yeah, your DTI to with a thousand-dollar payment that you're obviously not making because you're on an income-based repayment of maybe fifty or two fifty. Okay, if the underwriter can't tell you, find someone else. There are underwriters that do it. I know. FHA programs accept an income driven repayment. The only time an income driven repayment is a problem is if your payment is zero. They don't like zero. You got to pay something. Maybe you switch into a regular plan just for three months while you're doing your closing, switch back to IDR as soon as you close on the house. There's a lot of different ways to make this work, but I do not accept. I can't get a house because of my loans. There's, always a way to do it. Now, what I have is the reverse. I have people saying, well, I can't get a house because of my loan. And I look at them like, no, you can't get a house because you have no income. That's different. You know, or maybe you just need to get your financial house in order. You're spending 800 a month on a car. Maybe it's time to downgrade. There's nothing wrong with it yourself if you can find it. Got to learn how to work your budget, which is beyond what I do. I love financial planners because the first thing they do is go, okay, no, no, no. We need It's about perspective. So back to your question, how do you build wealth? For me, it's getting your student loan payment down to something manageable based on whatever IDR payment it is, increase your cash flow, and then talk to a professional about what do I do with this free cash? Is it pay down my other debt, snowball methods, pay off a car? What are we doing? Insurance, shopping, yada. I don't do that. There are professionals that this is what they do and they're really good. When you can go into that professional and say, hey, I shrunk my student loan payment down to 100 a month or whatever it is, their eyes bulge. Because number one, they've never heard of this before. And number two, they know you're working it. So that's it. But it all starts up here. It's all perspective.
0: Yeah. I love what you're doing, man. Because it's like we've always been told like from all these gurus. They're like, oh, you got to get that student debt down. If you can't do it, your life is ruined. You will not have a life. They will not make any wealth. And I'm all about like, if you can get, if it's a manageable number, you can kill it in a short amount of time frame, do it. But that's just not the reality. That's just not the reality anymore with you see all these kids that are coming out of school now and what they're paying. It's like, man, you have to think outside the box. You have to be smart. And yeah, debt. We all think debt, it's going to ruin your life. But that's not true. If you think critically, like Josh is saying, and think outside the box, there's ways that you can still accumulate wealth and make, have a very fruitful life, even with the student
1: debt. It's actually funny. I find that the people that have a problem accepting the income-driven repayment p- uh, plans are those that are financial savvy. Because who in the world would accept a payment that's negative amortizing, that's less than your interest? Think about that. We're all business professionals. Would you loan your friend $100 and say, listen, just pay me back a nickel a month, <laughs> nickel a year, and after 20 years, I'll just write it off, whatever you haven't paid? Who in their right mind would do that? Because the loan is supposed to be an investment for the lender. Mm-hmm. Granted, there's a philosophical thing. Should student loans be that? But, but the idea that we allow millions of borrowers to pay less than interest is so indicative of a failing system that nails it right there. Any business person going, who did this? Congress, the opposite of progress. Okay, But if you really want to think about building wealth, this is how really wealthy people do it. They don't always pay off their debts. They leverage the debt. If you could borrow money at 2% and get a 5% return, you don't speed pay the 2%. You use the money to get your 5% return. Now, granted, student loans have a higher interest rate, but don't look at that. Look at what is your IDR. Now you're getting a very small percentage, really, to leverage that debt. You could be leveraging it by paying down your credit cards, paying off your cars, or maybe invest. I I don't say that. I think you should be paying some of your loan back. But as a self-employed person, they've got the biggest ability to leverage debt. That's why I say talk to a financial professional. After you handle your loans.
0: So, Josh, I wanted to kind of put a scenario out there. I know we talked about some of the ways that we can get the debt forgiven if you're working for a nonprofit, public system, but let's go to the person that's not in that sector. Maybe they're on the private side, they've worked for a company their whole life, and they did the IDR. Maybe they came out with a couple hundred thousand dollars in student debt. They were able to put their money towards investments, buy their house, and they actually fast forward 30 years down the road, they have a good amount of assets. What does their student loans look like at this point in time, though, if they've only done like the income driven repayment plan?
1: It's hard to say because it's all based again on income and family size. So if they were making six digit salary, they probably had a sizable income driven payment. It might have been three to 500 a month, could be more. It's all relative to the size of their loan as well. After 25 years, which by the way, hasn't happened yet, the forgiveness started in 2009, well, plus 25 is 2034. We're still 13 years out. It is supposed to be an automatic for forgiveness. So. so what does it look like? Hypothetically, I've been looking at some people where they've been on an income driven repayment plan for $200,000 and they're going to have 300,000 or 350 at the time of forgiveness. What really all hinges on is legislation and uh, is it going to be taxable? If it's not taxable, then the answer is it's going to look like zero. It's going to look like a big old donut. That's a win. If it's potentially taxable, which I really only expect for the first few years of forgiveness till Congress realizes, oops, we got a tsunami, then it's a tax debt. And tax debt is so much easier to deal with than a federal loan. And I say mm-hmm. this a little bit from experience, but just the IRS, they work with people. Because they know you can't get blood from the stone. Now, if you're hiding assets, you're in trouble. I don't want to work with you. But, you know, <laughs> if, if you're the common American and you did your time and you owe a tax debt, which you didn't expect, but it happened, you can work with the IRS on it. Here's a secret, which isn't so secret. Taxes are actually dischargeable in a bankruptcy if you do everything the way you're supposed to. If you file on time and you work with the bankruptcy attorney, they very well could be dischargeable. Now, do we really care how much it's forgiven? I don't want to file a bankruptcy, but if hey, they're telling me I owe 100000 I might file. And you still get to walk into retirement debt-free. Your credit isn't ruined by bankruptcy. In many cases, it's actually better. You don't owe anybody. I mean, that's a philosophical debate too, but, yeah. you know, and I'm not advocating that people rush and file bankruptcy. But if you don't mind, I'm going to use this as a quick segue about some very recent news. A bipartisan bill was proposed in the Senate that would allow federal student loans and even some nonprofit loans to be discharged in a bankruptcy if they have at least 10 years of payments. Now, imagine you're on an income-driven repayment plan and your employment just wasn't working, so you're paying zero or maybe $50 a month for the past 10 years. You'd be able to file a simple Chapter 7 and walk out with no student loan debt. That's a huge win. It's bipartisan, it's got legs, it's got big names behind it. If you're listening right now, call your congressional representatives and tell them to back it up. This is a win. Well, what if I don't wanna file bankruptcy? Then you have income driven repayment. I do not expect people to rush to bankruptcy to get rid of their loans. Bankruptcy has implications. If you want a home, maybe bankruptcy doesn't work. Maybe it does. Maybe you need to save your home too. But for me, this is a bonus. This isn't a draw into bankruptcy a little bit. It's more of, hey, I'm here anyway. I'm saving my car. I'm saving my house. Oh, we're going to get rid of your federal student loans too. I don't know how many people actually have 10 years of, 10 years of repayment on their student loans. So, But that bill is, is out there right now. The Judiciary Committee has put it forward. So that looks like it's going to happen. There's also a separate bill that has been introduced that would allow private student loans to be dischargeable in bankruptcy. You put those two together, you got a powerful fix. What's also interesting and might be a small hang up here in that bankruptcy bill for federal student loans, the colleges have skin in the game if the student, and I don't know the full text of it, if the student shows that they didn't quite make a return, the school actually has to pay back a little bit of the money. This adds accountability to the schools. Now, I'm not going to get into the larger debate of it because I also haven't read the text. That part might be sliced out. We don't know. But the idea that it's bipartisan, student loan discharge, that is huge. They haven't been dischargeable since 1998 been what, 23 wow. years
0: how long do these bills take to go through? I'm not very familiar uh, with the, the speed of which these bills are pushed through. So Congress. I'm a little
1: older than you, and there used to be a program called Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Just a
0: bit. I mean, I'm like,
1: okay, so this is coming out of Judiciary Committee, and then it goes to the floor, and then it goes to the House Committee, and then it goes to the floor. And off the top of my head, 60 days, 90 days. But that depends if it's a bill that they want passed or they don't. I think there is going to be some lively debate, but again, because it's bipartisan with some big names backing it, I think it's got legs. I think it'll pass. I'm feeling good. I also don't know what the enactment date is, if it'll be immediate or if they're going to you know, phase it in over a couple of months. But yeah, I, I encourage people, if you ever want to change student loan stuff, this is your chance to be an advocate. Call your congressional rep. Just tell them the bankruptcy bill to allow student loan discharge. That's it. I don't have it in front of me.
0: Josh, uh, when does someone reach out to someone like yourself? When did they need to reach out to a
1: student debt lawyer? Was that right time? It's hard to say. I prefer that people reach out to me before they go over the cliff. Like, oh, goodness, the payment's coming due. I can't afford it. Now's the time to call. It's like medicine. It's preventative medicine. Do you, most people don't call the doctor until they're sick or they're hacking up blood or whatever it is. And that, that, yes, that's a good time to see me. But if you can feel it coming on and you know it's the flu and time to go get a flu shot, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, my office works like triage. It really does. It's okay. Are we in default? Are we in good standing? Do we have a payment plan? Is there a cosigner? is it? If you are concerned about your payments, whether you're in default or not, that's a good time. If you're curious about public service loan forgiveness, if you're even entertaining the idea and you want to know the facts, That's a good time to call. It's really, if you've got a question, and I entertain questions via email. I don't like to set up an analysis because I charge for them. I don't want to take your money unless I'm really going to offer you something. If you have a quick question, you can email it. My website tries to be up to date and I try to do YouTube videos, but you know, it's really a lot of people say, well, I have a sticky situation that's very different. It's different to you. It's not different to me, actually. And that's a little bit comforting, I hope, as well. Is No, it's not really your account. Actually, all of them are screwed up. It's that kind of thing. It's really a matter of if you have a concern about your student loans, reach out.
2: What what about for the student who's like just starting out? They haven't signed anything. Do you have a program for that person who just wants, is this the right thing for me to do? Should I sign the data line on this thing?
1: I don't do a lot of pre-college counseling, but I'm happy to do it. And I really like it when it's both the kid and the parent. I like the kid being responsible, but I like the parent to also hear so it's not, you know, telephone through their kid. I'm not going to say no to a private student loan, but I am going to caution you. I have an MBA, so I know how to use a calculator. So I'm happy to run those numbers with people and go, yeah, it's only 10 now, but it's 50,000 when you're done. Plus you're talking about grad school. Oh, by the way, a lot of private loans don't allow a forbearance while you're getting your grad school. How do you pay a loan while you're in grad school? Oh, that's what mom does. She's the cosigner. And mom's going, wait a minute. No, I'm not. These are the things that we talk about. So I'm happy to do that. I am debating actually bringing a, a... pre-college workshop where it's just general information so people know because the more you know. That's where I think the biggest gap is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You you know, I'm hoping the book you can read, even if you're not in the pool, it'll save you from falling in.
0: So, Well, for the people that are thinking about getting a student loan, I would just say, reach out to Josh. You're very reasonable in what you charge and the value that you bring. So uh, these are decisions that... Could impact you. You want to get all the facts and you want to deal with an expert. Don't do it yourself. That's just my take on it. But Josh, how can someone reach out to you? How can they get a hold of you?
1: So you can find me on my website is www.thestudentloanlawyer.com, or you can email me directly at JCohen, C-O-H-E-N at com. Again, I also have YouTube videos on my website that uh, folks are welcome to look. I've got a Facebook page, lots of different ways to reach me. I always suggest going to the website first because you may find your answer there and not need to pick up the phone, but everything you need is through the website.
0: Josh, thank you for coming on our show today, man. Thanks for giving us hope and clarity in a world that we thought that was only despair. You've changed our perspectives and given the listeners some amazing info. Thank you so much, man.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Free
0: Free Retiree Show. So long for now.
3: Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA at www.finra.org. SIPC, .sipc www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of LinkedIn Incorporated or Microsoft Corporation.
2: The opinions of attorney Matt McDowell do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.